Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. This sermon is titled, Evangelism, Do It Obediently. Evangelism, to define it, is telling lost people that Christ has died for sins and risen from the dead, and then inviting them to trust Christ alone to be their way to forgiveness with God and heaven one day. Frankly, I've found that evangelism is a little bit like exercise. Everyone's in favor of it, but not everyone does it. Or evangelism is like yard work in the worst heat of Bahamas in the summer. Everyone agrees that it needs to be done, but just by someone else. The pastor, the missionary, those gifted with the spiritual gift of evangelism. Of course, Satan hates evangelism. He'll do anything that he can to shut it down. Because evangelism depopulates hell. He'll do anything he can to shut it down. Satan is like the bank robber in the bank robbery that went terribly wrong, where the robber is fenced in by armed police, a task force, and the robber knows that he's coming out of there either surrendering or in a body bag. But until he does one of the two, he wants to hold as many hostages in the bank that he possibly can. That is how Satan is relative to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Savior of the world. And he'll do anything he can until he is put in the pit for a thousand years and then sentenced to the lake of fire forever and ever to shut down evangelism. That's bad enough, church, but the reality is that we sometimes shut down ourselves when it comes to sharing our faith. We sometimes stop ourselves from giving the best news possible to the most people possible. And essentially, there are two ways that we shut ourselves down when it comes to evangelism. One is cold feet, and the other is a cold heart. Cold feet boils down to fear. You know, when fear rings the doorbell of your life, if you send Jesus to answer the door, no one will be there. We tend to fear a negative response to evangelism. We fear being rejected. We fear not knowing what to say, not having all the answers to questions people might have. We fear being asked a question that will make us look foolish. We fear losing our job or our friends or our neighbors or sometimes even our spouses or our children because they lack any respect for us after we share a faith. We fear being written off as being some kind of a religious crackpot. And yes, we shut ourselves down in evangelism by fearing people more than we fear God. Cool feet is one way that we shut ourselves down during the work of evangelism, but there is a second way that we shut ourselves down when it comes to sharing our faith and therefore miss a rich blessing from God. It's having a cold heart. A cold heart is having selfish indifference. Did you hear about the young boys that were brothers at the dinner table in their home, and some guava duff was on the table, and one piece on the plate was a lot bigger than the other piece, and the boys were squabbling and trying to get the larger piece. And the mother said, boys, stop fighting. What would Jesus do? And the brother turned to the other brother and said, you be Jesus. A selfish and an indifferent heart 
We'll shut ourselves down from sharing our faith every time. It's like this. If you were to fly to New York City this week, and you somehow knew that both pilots on that airplane were high on drugs, and you took yourself off the plane to be safe, but you didn't warn any of the other passengers of what you knew. Selfish indifference. It'll shut us down when it comes to sharing our faith. Church, when you know Christ, and when you know someone you know does not yet know Christ, and the Holy Spirit opens opportunity for you to share the gospel, and in selfish indifference you don't, it's sin. Sin. So far, we've seen three inhibitors to sharing our faith or doing the work of evangelism. Satan, cold feet, and a cold heart. Satan, fear, and selfish indifference. So if any of these are keeping you or have kept you from telling others about Christ, it's time to repent. It's time to obey. The verses before us this morning in Luke chapter 5 tell an incredible but true story of a miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ worked at the Sea of Galilee. And this miracle gives us a window into Jesus' heart. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, this miracle shows a window into the Savior's heart right now as he sits at his Father's right hand in heaven. A window into Jesus' heart and a miracle. Follow with me as I read Luke 5, 1 through 8, please. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also called the Lake of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. I visited the Sea of Galilee in Israel. It's a rather small lake and a rather shallow lake. And because it's so shallow, it can be whipped up into a deadly storm quickly. This particular day, the crowds were pressing in on Jesus by this particular lake's rocky shoreline, and they were something like bugs which were attracted to light. And the very good thing was what they wanted to hear, what the Savior was preaching and what the Savior was teaching. What a fantastic problem. Lots and lots of people 
gathering to hear the preaching and the teaching of Scripture. And that's what's going on here in this hour. And I trust that's what will go on this evening at 6.30. Lots of people gathering, eager to hear the Word of God preached and taught. Well, on that particular day, Jesus noticed two fishing boats, which were pulled up onto the stony shore. The fishing day was long over, and that was clear because the owners of the boats, the professional fishermen, were washing their fishing nets. It was at that time that the Lord Jesus picked one of the beached boats, and he pressed it into service as a floating pulpit. Because sound carries beautifully, does it not? Over calm water. And the crowd which was in front of the Lord on that shore was constantly growing bigger and bigger in number. To see it again, verses 1 to 3. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he put down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. I love Peter's response. Because the fish in the Sea of Galilee were night feeders, and because Peter certainly knew how to fish, it was his livelihood, no fish, no income, and because Peter had not been slack the previous night, he already had fished a very strenuous night shift, but he had been denied netting even one fish. And because Peter knew that Jesus Christ was a carpenter who lived in a village that was landlocked, what would a carpenter know about fishing? And so I'm convinced that Jesus' order to let down his nets was very easy for Peter to understand, but it was very hard for Peter to swallow. And I love his response. Verse 5. And Simon Peter answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. Will you notice that Peter's response to Jesus was immediate and complete? It was rooted in respect. And it acknowledged that Jesus could overturn any likelihood that Peter could think of. Church, when Jesus commands us to fish for men by doing evangelism, is our response immediate, complete, rooted in respect? Is our response to Jesus' command to us to fish for men a response that gives room for Jesus to do the unlikely, to save your heart-hardened spouse, to save your rebellious child, to save your demanding and mocking boss? Do we believe that Jesus Christ, when he tells us to let down our nets for a catch, can do everything necessary to overturn what we seem to be likely? Let me confess something to you this morning. There have been at times long stretches in my Christian life when I have neglected evangelizing. During those times, my feet and my heart have been cold during those times that I've given in to fear and selfish indifference, 
and I've not immediately, and I've not completely, and I've not respecting the Lord Jesus, given room for the Holy Spirit to do the unlikely. Maybe you can relate to my confession. Of course, I'm not proud of those realities. I wish I could do them over again, my days of fear and selfishness about sharing my faith, but I can't. But what I can do, what I can do, is change going forward. To change and repent going forward. The sermon today is going to end with a plan and a goal for evangelizing by all of us. A plan and a goal for evangelizing for all of us. That's how this sermon is going to end. That's like the little girl who was overheard playing with her dolly. And she said to the dolly, because I say so, I'm the mom. You'll understand when you're a mom, dolly. And I don't care what the other dolly's mummies say about it. The little girl didn't know everything about being a mommy, but what she knew, she used in her playtime. We may not know everything there is to know about theology or the Bible, but if we are saved by placing our trust in Christ and only Christ, we know enough to lead someone else to trust Christ and only Christ for salvation. Amen? We go on to verse 6. And when they had done this, and when they had done this, when they had let down their nets for a catch in obedience to Jesus, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and the nets began to break. A great quantity of fish. Calvary Bible Church, our God is the God who does exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. And the day that those obedient fishermen got a huge catch of fish because they served a huge God was a glorious day. You know, our God is the same God of the New Testament. Our Lord Jesus is the same Lord Jesus of this story. And he is not a just barely God, nor is he a, a eke it out barely God. Our Savior is I can't believe how much God. And I can't believe how much Savior. Now what would happen? If all of us here this morning were to let down our nets for a catch of men, I'll tell you what would happen. This wonderful church family would exponentially grow by conversions. And next Sunday morning, when I give a chance for some of you to report the homework assignment of sharing your faith, and they're asked how many are here for the first time, there would be new converts in Christ raising their hand. You want that? We would probably need to go to more than one morning worship service. We would have the joy of new babes in Christ to know and to love and to help. You know, I heard of a church this week in the States that split 
over a decision to remove an interior wall. Jesus died for people, not for walls. Well, back to our true story. When these fishermen obeyed Jesus and fished, they caught a great quantity of fish. Their nets tore open because they couldn't hold all the fish, and the boat was full of fish right up to its gunnels. And a second boat was pressed into duty so they could dump the extra fish to the one boat into it. And both began to sink. We have an exceeding abundantly beyond Savior, a miracle-working Savior, a faithful Savior, a promise-keeping Savior. And if we will obey, if you individually, not your neighbor, you, if you will obediently let down your net this week with the gospel, there will be an immense catch. There will. There is no substitute for obedience when it comes to evangelism. D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman before he became a minister of the gospel in Chicago. He was uneducated. He was a shoe salesman. And God got a hold of his life, Moody's life. He was gloriously saved and transformed from the inside out, and he stopped selling shoes, and he started fishing for men in Chicago. The clergy, the Reverend Wright doctors of Chicago, hated Moody. They hated his ministries. They hated his results. They hated his lack of grammar at times. They hated the fact he wasn't... credentialed by a seminary with a degree. They hated him. And one of them said one time to him, why are you evangelizing when you're uneducated, Moody? I don't like the way that you're evangelizing, Mr. Moody. And Moody said to him, I like the way that I do evangelism better than the way you don't. I like the way... I do evangelism better than the way you don't. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter did the right thing. He humbly acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as being Lord Lord of everyone, Lord of Peter. The term for Lord here is the Greek kurios. It means master, boss, superior. Peter saw the miracle and said, Master, boss, my superior. Will you notice with me in verse 8 still? that the word Lord appears in the last word place of the verse. There are two places in verses in the Scripture that hold the most emphasis. The first place of a verse or the last place of a verse. Here it is, the last place. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the emphasis. O Lord. And because he saw him as Lord, he saw him as master, boss, and superior, Peter fell down in worship, do we? Not just here on Sundays, but Mondays through Saturdays, do we fall down on our faces before Jesus because he is Lord? 
He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let it start with the family of God. Amen? He is Lord. Peter worshipped, but Peter did something else that's crucial. Peter also admitted his sin. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. Peter admitted his sin. Do you? Do I? Do we call our sin sin and not a mistake? Do we call our sin sin and not the result of being a victim of, of a hard upbringing? Do we call our sin sin and not compare our sin to someone else's sin as they see, Lord, she's a lot worse than me? Do we admit our sin? Being very specific. And not after a while do we admit sin, but right away we admit sin when we sense that we've sinned. When the Spirit of God taps me on the heart and says, Elliot, you've sinned in thought, word, or deed. It's my responsibility to agree with God, to call my sin, sin, and to accept the forgiveness that 1 John 1, 9 promises. If we confess our sin, he's faithful, and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful doesn't mean he's fickle. He doesn't blow hot and cold when it comes to forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just. He has a basis upon which to forgive us. Jesus finished work on the cross. Jesus died for all my sins, past, present, and future. And Jesus died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. So when you admit a sin, God is faithful. He's not fickle. And he's just. He has a theological, logical basis, a judicial basis for forgiving you and cleansing you. Praise God. And so we shall be quick to call sin, sin in our lives because it's one important way of recognizing the Lordship of Christ. You know, I've noticed that the Royal Bahamian police like to use their flashing lights on their cars and their sirens. Sometimes they even use their public address microphones, pull over to the left side of the road. Do you know what I do when I see and hear that? I pull over to the left side of the road right away. Why? Because I respect their authority over me. When Jesus Christ says, share your faith, tell people how to get to heaven by trusting me alone, we better pull over to the side of the road figuratively and we better obey. We better let down our nets for a catch. This week. This week. I want you to skip down to verse 10. Jumping in the middle of a thought, I realize, verse 10. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. <laughs> men. Generic summation word for mankind. Men, women, boys, girls, children. Do not fear, Peter. From now on, you will be catching men. You know, one of the names for being a fisherman, what we call fishermen, is they're anglers. You call fishermen anglers here? No. Up north in Canada and the U.S., 
they call fishermen anglers. Do you know why? Because they play the angles to catch fish. They deceive fish. They trick fish. They throw a lure into the lake that looks like what the fish are eating that day. Well, when we share Christ, we are not deceptive. We are open. We are legitimate. We are authentic. We are straightforward, shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart, mind to mind. I was up at the Marathon Mall with my family in the food court. And I was standing in line for a Philly cheesesteak sandwich, which was good, by the way. And there was a 20-something-year-old daughter carrying a lot of store shopping bags and her mom. And the 20-something-year-old daughter... We met eyes, and she looked at me. She was very gregarious, very outgoing, not at all shy. She said, it's my birthday, and I'm doing all the shopping. I said, wow, congratulations. Happy birthday. I guess you're boosting the economy by buying all that stuff. She goes, oh, I never thought of that. And then I turned to the mom and said, and this is the ATM machine called mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then the Lord gave it to me. She had said it was her birthday, and you know what I said in the cheesesteak line? I said, I celebrate two birthdays. What? I'm a born-again Christian. I trust Jesus alone to be my Savior from sin, and I celebrate the day I did that in my life and the day that I was physically born. Wow. No one's ever told us that. We're Catholic. I said, well, that's the truth. So we were talking a little further and waiting for our sandwiches in line, and I went into my wallet, and I gave her my business card to introduce myself. I told her who I was and what, where I minister. And I gave her my business card. And you know what's on the back of every business card I give out is the bad news, good news, the way of salvation. So I gave her the card. I said, let me just introduce myself by the way of this card. And on the back of this card is the way you become a born-again Christian. She took it. And then she read it. And her daughter read it over her shoulder. And then she said, not to me, because we were a little bit separated now in the line waiting for the food, she said to her daughter, that's simple. That's simple. We got separated, and I didn't see the meeting. and So I didn't get to follow up, but I let down my net for a catch. As an angler, I found the angle of approach to turn the conversation to a spiritual matter by birthdays. You can do that. When you meet a lost person pumping your gas, selling you something in a store, working beside you in the next carol at your workplace, you can pray for the angle that you can approach them with to turn the conversation to spiritual things. You can do that. Do that. Let your nets down for a catch. Now, I told you that this sermon is going to end, and it almost will, with a plan and a goal. Here's the plan. I want every one of you who are saved, young and old, male and female, to get one of these. The ushers are going to help us do that. Where are the ushers? There they are. Grab a bunch of these, Brother Albert. Slip your hand up. Everybody gets one of these. If you're saved, take one of these. If you're not saved, take one of these and read it. This is the little booklet that Dr. Larry Moyer of Avantel wrote. May I ask you a question? Has the bad news good news? The bad news is all about us. The good news is all about God. The bad news is that we're all sinners. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The bad news gets worse. We earn a paycheck for being less than perfect. But the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Bad news is about us. The good news is about God. Just like the bad news got worse, the good news is going to get better. The good news is that God loves sinners. But God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 8. Please just hand them out, brother. Everybody's going to get one. God has demonstrated, proven his love for sinners in having his son die on the cross, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And just like the bad news got worse, the good news gets better, that God offers forgiveness in heaven as a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. And then you invite them to transfer their trust to Christ. Don't stop short. Invite them. You've been praying that you'd be led to someone who's open. Invite them to trust Christ. Is there anything keeping you right now from transferring your trust to Christ? When I have asked that question over 30 years, only two people have had an objection. Two. Everyone else has no objection. And I have the privilege of helping them transfer their trust to Jesus Christ right on the spot. The two that had objections were, I don't think I could live perfect. Then I say, you don't have to live perfect. Jesus was perfect. He gives you his perfection, and you stand before God with perfection, and working out obedience and love for him takes time. I don't know if my husband will like it that I would come to Christ and trust him alone for salvation. Wouldn't you want your husband to get to go to heaven? And wouldn't you want to be living in his house as someone who's been given heaven as a gift? Is that really an objection to trusting Jesus to be your Savior today? I hope everybody's got one. It might be a hard task to hand them all up, but on the way out, will you grab one? Everyone, let down your net for a catch. Do you know what I'm going to do next Sunday, God willing? I'm going to stand in this pulpit, and I'm going to ask you, how many of you gave away this tract? And then I'm going to ask, if you had the privilege of leading people to Jesus Christ as Savior, to have a chance to tell us how it happened. We won't be able to do everybody who leads someone to Christ this week, but we'll do a couple to prime the pump that we'll keep doing this. Take a booklet. If you're old, if you're young, if you're old in Christ, if you're young in Christ, if you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're a college student, take a booklet. Prayerfully give it away. Ask the Lord Who would you have me give this to this week? And then pay attention. I suggest, if you're comfortable with it, you write your first name in the box on the back that's blank and your phone number. You may not be comfortable doing that, but if you are, that can be a personal touch. But they could phone you if they have questions or if they trust Jesus. We're going to have an exciting week. I've been praying all week that you'll receive this and you'll do something with it. That you'll let down your net and invite people to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. That has been the focus of Calvary Bible Church for over 50 years. That this church has stood for telling people how to be saved, inviting people to be saved, when people are saved, helping them to grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Amen? May we never lose our focus. Never. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was 
once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, and so it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped, and they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as a sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going into the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. Less of the members were now interested indeed. The mission of the life-saving station was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin. And some spoke a strange language, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Some of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. Some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the coastline today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now, most of the people drown. Let down your net. Let down your net. 